Well, I think this is a, a pretty good turnout for a sermon on death. It's not a very exciting, pleasant topic uh, to discuss. And I think that's why a lot of people in our culture uh, avoid it and ignore it and live like there's no such thing as death. It seems like a lot of people are not okay uh, with the idea of getting older and one day dying. Uh, People want to cheat death. Uh, They want uh, to look eternally young as if there's no such thing as the aging process, as, as if there's no such thing as the end of life. And we try to push death uh, behind closed doors as, as much as we can. We don't really like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. Uh, we don't like to experience it. But death is a reality. Uh, it's a reality that you have faced. And it's a, with people that you care about, uh, you haven't faced it yet or else you wouldn't be here tonight. You're here, you're still breathing, but you have had people that you love, friends, family members, and maybe you've been present when they have passed. Um, We as Christians know that death is not a subject that we ought to neglect. And uh, for the most part, we, I think, do a better job of talking about it than most. Uh, some of you even you know, crack some jokes about it from time to time. I am teaching the Senior Saints class right now. And uh, as I was getting ready to go in there, I talked to a couple ladies in there, and, and they said, you know, our class really could be called the last stop class. And uh, so I got a good chuckle out of that. And then I tried to share that with some people who were younger, and they said, that is, that's t- terrible. Why would you say such a thing? That is so mean. And I said, well, you know, some of the ladies in the class said it first, so I'm just repeating what they said. And then I think also about what Brother Trainer, Paul Trainer told me one time. He said, I'm so old that I've got one foot in the grave and the other one's on a banana peel. And uh, so some of us are comfortable with cracking jokes about it. Others of us are not. Um, I was interested to read an article recently that talked about a lot of the, uh, well, how the scientific understanding of what the end of life is like has developed over the past several years. Scientists have discovered much about uh, what life's end is, is like. And of course, there's much that they don't know. And there's much that we can't know on this side of eternity. But here's what they've learned. People who are dying tend to lose their senses in a certain order. First, hunger and then thirst are lost. Uh, Speech is next, followed by vision. And the last senses to go are usually hearing and touch. When people become too weak to cough or swallow uh, at the end of life, some people start to make a noise in the back of their throats. This has often been called a death rattle. And the sound, if you hear it in person, can be deeply disturbing because it seems as if the person is suffering. But most doctors uh, believe that this phenomenon probably is not painful. For many dying people, the brain begins to do the same thing that the body does, and that is it sacrifices areas at the end which are less crucial 
to survival. And so dying people tend to lose their thinking abilities, motor skills, and their inhibition. That sort of melts away in the final days and moments. Scientists have even discovered the reason why some people see a light uh, when, when they, and this is, um, people have reported this, who've gone into cardiac arrest and have been brought back. They report that they've seen a light and supposedly scientists have a scientific explanation for this and take it or leave it. They say as the brain begins to change and start to die, different parts of the brain become excited and one of the parts that becomes excited is the visual system. And so maybe you're convinced by that, but maybe you're not. Maybe you think there's another less scientific reason for seeing a light at the end of life. There is a scientific study that's been conducted um, on dying people's dreams. And it turns out that the dreams of those who are dying feel different than normal dreams to them. These dreams seem clearer. They seem more real. And in this study, um, they were frequently so intense that the dream didn't stop with sleep. It carried into wakefulness and the, the person experienced the dream as if it was reality. Um, at the end of life, 72% of people dreamed about reuniting with people who had already died. 59% dreamed about getting ready to travel somewhere. 28% dreamed about meaningful experiences in the past. And for most of those studies, uh, for most of the people studied rather, the dreams that they experienced were comforting, they were positive, and they helped decrease the fear of death. What we're interested in tonight, that, that's all fascinating to me. I don't know if it is for you, but we want to take it a step further. What we're interested in tonight is what happens after that final breath is drawn. And what scientists will say, it's like studying black holes. We can go up to a certain part, but then we really can't peer um, inside what happens after death. But as Christians, believing that this is the authoritative Word of God, we can look at what the pages of Scripture have to say about what happens to the person uh, who dies. And specifically, what we're talking about uh, tonight is where the person who is a faithful believer goes when he or she dies. We, we really have to limit this. And Talking about end things could be uh, a whole Sunday night series or Wednesday night series. We're really not going to get into what happens on the day that Jesus returns. Uh, only in passing will we discuss that. We're not going to talk about what happens to people who did not place their faith in Jesus in this life. That, that's for another time. What our focus is on is the person who is a faithful believer. Where does that person go and what state is that person after they die? You have probably noticed that by the way we talk about death in our culture, um, you'd think that we know a whole lot about it. People seem, everybody seems to have an idea of what occurs beyond that final breath. And, and you hear people saying all kinds of things. And I, I really, I hate to bring these up because I know that to a lot of people, they're, they're quite comforting. And you see people writing on Facebook after someone passes away, something like, he's gained his wings, or she's one of God's special angels now, uh, or maybe he's up there dancing with Jesus. Uh, or she's already gotten into trouble because she's reconnected with grandma and you know those two. They were always full of mischief. We say things like this and maybe there's no harm in that. Uh, as long as we know we're totally speculating because what we've got to sift through is 
how much of this is fact and how much is fiction? How much is rooted in what we want to be true and how much is actually rooted in what God's Word has to say? We want to be people of the book. Uh, we want to be Bible-speaking, Bible-believing people. And so what our uh, objective is tonight is to go to the book and to see what God's Holy Word has to say on this topic. Now, let me first say this, and you can go ahead and grab your Bible, and we're going to be looking at plenty of passages. But let me first say this. The Bible, and we, we, we need to know this, we need to make this distinction. The Bible has a lot more to say about the Lord's coming at the end of history than our going. And those are two different events. And I think we would all recognize that. The Bible has a lot more to say about the second coming of Jesus than it does about what happens right after we die. Uh, A lot of people, I think, try to combine these two events, these two ideas, they they conflate the two, but we really shouldn't. The Bible doesn't, uh, and there are many differences. Death, for instance, is an individual experience. We don't all die at the same time. We leave this earth on different days and different years. The second coming is, happens, it's one big event. Uh, and it is a, not an individual experience, it's a universal experience uh, that affects all people of all times. Um, at death, I believe the Bible teaches, as we'll soon see, that we enter a temporary state where we're waiting for the second coming. We're waiting for the resurrection. Um, at the second coming, we enter our final state. History is over and we are then... Um, ushered into eternity. And, you know, there's a way in which we could talk about this that seems very academic and disconnected from real life, but, but it really ought to be. It, it, it shouldn't be, rather. Um, because we're talking about ourselves. We're talking about people that we love. Faithful believers who have already passed from this life. So this is a very personal issue for us. And so we shouldn't drift into talking about it in a way that is overly bookish, uh, because this is something that affects each of us. So here is a, since we have said that the Bible has more to say about the Lord's coming than our going, and these are two different events, here is a rundown uh, of what I believe the Bible teaches what happens on that day, capital D, the day of the Lord, the day Jesus returns, the day He makes His reappearance. Okay, He will come back, and you know this. Uh, he, he says so himself in his ministry. One example is John chapter 14, verse 2. Um, very well-known passage. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus says there, I will come again. And Jesus, I believe, is talking about when he will make his return to the earth. So on that day, Jesus will return. Um, the dead in Christ will be raised. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection is going to be a key component of that day. Paul says, at His coming, those who belong to Christ will be raised. Uh, Paul also mentions this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 16. The dead in Christ are, uh, are raised. All who are in Christ will be changed. Let me look with you in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So those who have already passed away, their bodies will be raised. And also those who are left living when Jesus returns, 
both groups of people will be changed. That's what Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, not, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now that is crystal clear to me, that statement. There's a lot when we talk about this issue that is uh, not crystal clear. And maybe by the end of this, you have more questions than when we started. And maybe you see some points of disagreement with me. And that's okay. You know, we're all trying to figure this out together. But this is pretty clear. Not everybody's going to die, but everybody's going to be changed. So those who are alive, those who will be raised, who have already passed away, will all be transformed uh, in order to prepare for eternity. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, imperishable, we shall all be changed. The perishable body must put on the imperishable, the mortal body, immortality. So whether we're dead or alive on that day, we'll all be changed. There will be a judgment. And we don't need to leave that out. And we could look at many places in the Scriptures, but one of those is Matthew chapter 25. Another place when Jesus anticipates His return, and when He says He'll come back, He says there will be a judgment. And then, after all that, eternal life for the faithful will begin in what, in what John calls in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the new heaven and earth. Now, I just threw a lot of stuff at you. And we could spend you know, a whole series or a whole sermon talking about each of those elements. But since tonight, mainly, we're talking about what happens when we die and not necessarily what happens when Jesus returns, we're going to leave it there. Those are the highlights of the day uh, that Scripture tells us about. And as we said earlier, Scripture puts an emphasis on that day above the day of our individual passing from this earth. But, our question tonight is, what is going on with the faithful dead until that day? Because we can all think about saints who have gone on before us, who are no longer with us, um, and yet the day of the Lord has yet to arrive. And so, what is the state of those people? Our loved ones who are not with us any longer? Where are they? Uh, what are they doing? Scripture speaks to this in a few passages. Those are the ones we're going to look at this morning. But, but I'll go ahead and tell you, if you're looking for a, a lot of specifics, you may be disappointed. Scripture doesn't have a whole lot to say, but I think it says enough for us to get a pretty general idea of sort of where people are. So the question is, before the resurrection, so before their bodies are raised, as Paul talks about, before they're changed, before we're changed, if we make it uh, before dying to the day when Jesus returns, before the judgment, what is the location of their souls? So, I've got, let's see, five passages we're going to turn to. Do you have your Bible ready? Are your fingers warmed up and ready to, to turn? Okay. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. This is where Michael Jett was. This is where he read for us earlier. Philippians 1, Paul drops some hints here about what happens post-death, pre-resurrection. That's what we're looking at. Paul is saying to the Philippian brothers and sisters in verse 20, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, 
Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I just, Paul is saying, I want to honor Christ, whether that means I continue living or if it means I die, it doesn't matter to me as long as Christ is glorified. Now that is a lofty goal. Uh, That's an admirable goal. That's one we should be striving for. But then let's keep reading here. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Is gain. So Paul says there's something good about death. Even though Scripture, the New Testament, talks about death as an enemy. Death is the result of sin. Um, Death is bad. But God redeems death through the resurrection of uh, His Son. And He is going to be victorious over death. And so because of Jesus, Paul can say to die is no longer something that Christians uh, should fear should dread to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now he goes further than this. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with who? Christ. Paul says, I desire, I I want to depart from this. I want to be here. I want to continue ministering to you. I know that I could be of use on this earth to the cause of Christ, but I desire to go and to, Paul says, be with Christ. And so it seems to me that Paul is saying the state of the dead, of the faithful dead, is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever that state is, whatever you want to call it, that temporary dwelling place for the souls of those who have died in the faith is in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And Paul says it's going to be be a good experience. I want to go there. It seems as if Paul is saying, I'll be able to experience the presence of Christ in a way that I can't down here. And I think we could also, maybe not from this passage, but from other passages, say that the experience of Christ when He comes again will, will be even better than, than that. So, this is good for us to be here on this earth, to, to be a part of the body of Christ, to experience His, His presence in the Spirit. This is good. What happens after death is better. What we'll experience post-resurrection is best. Our eternal state with God forever. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And my desire, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. So in death, we experience the presence of our Savior, though not in the fullness that we'll experience Him um, when He returns. So let's look at another passage, Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Very similar here to what Paul has to say. Luke 23, 39-43, you will be familiar with this story. Jesus is hanging on the cross and there is a criminal to his left and his right. And one of the criminals, verse 39, who were hanged, railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Mocking Jesus. But the other rebuked that one saying, 
Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So this criminal recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. He recognizes his authority. He uh, professes faith in, in Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? before they all die up there together, he says, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. So this says a lot of things. Number one, it says that Jesus, well, Jesus calls this state of being for those who die in the faith, paradise. And we won't look into what that word means tonight. But secondly, Jesus says, today, you'll be with me there. It's not something that you'll, you'll have to wait on. As soon as you draw your last breath, you will enter into this state of being with me. Uh, And that's the third thing, with me. Uh, Today you will be with me in my presence. And that sounds very much like what Paul says in Philippians about uh, desiring to depart and to be with the Lord. So let's look at another passage here. We're, We're building a case. We're looking at all the evidence. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 38. And maybe this, one, maybe this one is not as convincing for you. But I think this, this has a place. This is a building block in our argument. I think this has a place in what we're talking about tonight. And it makes sense to me in this context. So look at this, verse 38. It's a really powerful passage. I am sure, Paul says, that neither, and this is what we're after, death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate believers from experiencing the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, not life and not what? Death. Even in death, you will not be separated from experiencing The love that God has for you as demonstrated through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Okay, a couple passages in Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. This vision of John here says, when he opened the fifth seal, John is saying, I saw under the altar the souls of of those who had been slain for the Word of God and for the witness they had borne. And so, (laughs) we could talk about to what degree should we take what John has to say literally in Revelation, but here the vision is quite clear. John sees the souls of those who had been killed for their faith. The martyrs are there in heaven, in this vision that John has of heaven, and this is pre-second coming, it's current, he sees the souls of the people there. Um, and this is, what, this is what they're doing. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Those who took our life, is what they're saying. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow uh, servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So you have the souls 
those who had been had died been, and their soul had been separated from their body and their soul is there in heaven and they're crying out uh, for justice for those who are persecutors of the faith. And um, they say, it says here that they were told to what? To rest. And so I think here, this is something else that we can definitively say about this state of being of the faithful dead between the time that they die and the time that Jesus returns, it is a time of rest. It's a time of rest and preparation for the resurrection. Uh, Revelation 14.13 says something similar. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And we hit on this earlier. Death, We can still mourn death. We can still grieve death. Death is still sad. It is an end. But, Jesus has turned death on its head. Jesus has redeemed death. And because of Jesus, uh, we can know that we'll be victorious over death. Death does not get the final word. And uh, so, the voice says here, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, it's not something that has to be feared and dread it. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Their deeds follow them. They may rest from their labors. So again, we see that it seems the righteous, the faithful dead, they experience a period of rest before the final resurrection. Now, another passage that we could look at here uh, is in Luke chapter 16. But we're not going to turn there and look at it in depth tonight. But this is the story, and I was talking with somebody out in the lobby. You've got you to throw this one out here. The story of the rich man and Lazarus, which alludes, if you're jotting down passages, you can write down Luke 16, 19-31. Check that out later. This passage alludes to a state of consciousness immediately following death. So it's not a place where you're unconscious and unaware. It is a state both for the the righteous and the unrighteous. Two different places in this story of the rich man and Lazarus. But it is a state state of consciousness that immediately follows the death of a person. Okay, so here's the bottom line. And here's where I'm at. Here's sort of my conclusion. I believe all these passages point to a what is a temporary, and it's temporary because the resurrection has yet to occur. The return of Jesus has yet to recur. The transformation of all people has yet to occur. Um, These passages, I believe, point to a temporary conscious existence of the soul apart from the body after death. You know, bodies will be raised on the resurrection, transformed, made into spiritual bodies, reunited with souls, to live in heaven forever with God. But for now, those who have passed away are, are with God, are with the Lord Jesus, resting from their labors, waiting for the resurrection. And of course, this temporary stage will end when Jesus returns. Oh, Luke 16, starting in 19, is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Yes, ma'am. Luke 16, starting in 19. So this is comforting to me because I, I have a lot of loved ones who have gone on. And to think about how 
in that state, my grandmothers, for instance, are awaiting the second coming as I am here. Maybe not in the exact same way, but both the living and dead are anxiously awaiting Jesus' return. The moment when eternity begins. Uh, And again, maybe there are some things up for debate here and you want to have a conversation with me out in the lobby afterwards, but um, this is where I'm at and and these are the passages that that I, I think reveal to us as much as can be revealed on this side about, in God's Word, about what happens to us when we die. Now, we can debate all the particulars, but the bottom line is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And are you confident that when He returns, or and let's just back up to the question at hand tonight, when you die, will you go and be with the Lord? And the Bible teaches that if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and if you confess that that is what you believe, and if you are baptized into water for the forgiveness of your sins, you have nothing to worry about. Uh, If you're doing the best you can every day to live a life that is pleasing to Him, the blood of His Son is covering over your sins, and you don't have to fear death, you don't have to fear the second coming, you can know that your home will be with God for all eternity. I read the story of uh, Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete, as they called him, a famous basketball player. And he um, became, became a Christian in his latter years, began to believe in Jesus. And so James Dobson, this famous author, wanted to have him come and do a spot on his radio show. So he flew him out to California. He had just retired from the Utah Jazz. Uh, he was 40 years old. So he goes out there, he does the interview, and the producers thought it would be neat to have Dr. James Dobson and Pistol Pete Maravich out on the court shooting some three-pointers. And all of a sudden, I mean, just like that, Pistol Pete collapsed. And um, James Dobson took him in his arms and he called, told somebody to call 911 and they got some paramedics there, but he had already died of a major heart attack. And um, that had a profound effect on the Dobson family. Just this, this uh, reality that we never know when our time is coming. We never know when we're going to leave this earth. I mean, it, generally speaking, those of us who are older are maybe a little closer, but the reality is none of us has any idea whether we're going to wake up tomorrow. And so what the Dobson family began to do, they began to think of a way to remind each other that they, they all wanted to be in heaven together. And so what they started to do is they would give each other a thumbs up and they'd say, be there. And what they meant was, I want you to be there with me in heaven, with the Lord. And uh, so I want you to be there. Why don't, you, why don't you put up your thumb? Let's, let's try this together. Put up your thumb. I'm going to say be there to you. You say be there to me. Be there. That's the bottom line. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, be there. Be there. That should be our greatest concern as Christians. Of making sure we're all there together in heaven for all eternity. And that we bring as many people with us 
as possible. I want you to be there. We want each other to be there. If you're not sure you're going to be there, then tonight is your night to come and to profess your faith in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now as we stand and sing. I hear